we are going to continue in our series that we've been going through all year through the 52 greatest stories of the Bible. And last week, Jamie did an absolutely outstanding job talking about the upper room and what happened and, and what uh, God began in the upper room in the early church. And this morning, we are going to be taking that next step in the journey. So, so last week, Jamie brought us through Acts chapters 2 and 3. This morning, we are going to cover a, a significant amount of ground, but I don't think it's going to take us that long to do. Um, because the text for this week's reading in the 52 Greatest Stories is Acts chapter 4 through 8. And uh, so I'm not going to read Acts chapter 4 through 8, but I want to give you the highlights of what started to happen in the early church after they had had this experience in the upper room. So Jesus had ascended, he'd left and told the disciples, now I want you to go to the upper room and I want you to wait because the Holy Spirit's coming. And so they, they go to the upper room and the Spirit falls and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and miraculous things happen. They can actually see uh, flames of tongues, a uh, fire over the top of their heads. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it was actual fire over their heads. They, they were able to worship and, and speak in other languages and they were filled with boldness. They were, these were guys that after the death of Christ, that weekend that, that Jesus died on Friday, these were guys that literally were locked into rooms with the doors barred, scared to death for their very lives. And now all of a sudden, they are praising God and worshiping God so loud that everyone in the streets can hear them, and then miraculously, because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not only just speaking to the Jews who spoke Hebrew, but to Greeks and 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 people from all over the the world there was a transformation that took place in their lives and so they they were being prepared to go to the ends of the earth. And so I just want to quickly kind of run through the, the, what happened to get them there. So, so we've come from that experience where they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then in chapter 3, these early church planters, these young, I mean literally, they were the first church planters, they're on their way to the temple. And they're, they're going to pray. And they run into their, one of their first uh, encounters with, with people after the, the, this big experience. And this guy has been laying uh, there at the entrance to the temple for decades. And he would beg. And he would beg because he was crippled. He had no way to earn a living. He had no way to get money. He had no way to, to do anything. His profession was beggar. And so he would lay there in front of the temple and put his hands out and people would feel sorry for him and they would put money in his hand. And so as, as Peter and John are, are walking by, he sees this man and the man, he probably walked past him hundreds of times in his lifetime. If this guy had been there for decades and Peter went to the temple faithfully, he's walked by this guy. Oh yeah, there's that guy. And, and maybe had even given him money at some point in the past. And so the guy's looking up and he sees Peter and he says, oh, here comes Peter. Peter, you know, maybe he can help me out today. I know he's a broke fisherman, but maybe they had a good catch. And Peter looks at him and he says, yeah, I, I don't have anything to give you that, that you would expect. But what I do have 
name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And he is completely healed. He didn't have money. They didn't have a building. They didn't have resources. They had to meet in homes and set up and tear down every week to, to have their services. But what he had, Amen. he said, I don't have a fancy building to invite you to. I don't have a lot of stuff that, that we can you know, plug you into program-wise. But I have Jesus. And the man was transformed. He was healed. He was restored. And so now, they heal the beggar because it was all that they could do. They couldn't pay for anything. They couldn't meet his bills. They couldn't even take him out to lunch. Maybe they could go fishing. Then in verse, uh, verses 8 through 12 in chapter 4, they get brought before the religious leaders because now they're in trouble. They've done something that's stirring things up again and the religious leaders want to squash this new church plant. They don't want them talking about this Jesus guy anymore and so they threaten them. They threaten Peter and they say, we don't want you preaching anymore about this Jesus. Stop. Cease and desist. And Peter's response to them in verses 8, 8 through 12 is he says to them, God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other... What, what do you want us to do? There's no other name other than in the name of Jesus that we can be saved. And they were amazed that, that these guys who were fishermen and tax collectors and, and just regular day laborer guys spoke with such authority. But in verse 13, it says something incredibly powerful. It says that these men, they spoke with such authority, but they recognized they had been with Jesus. They had been with Him. And so because they had been with Jesus, that, that had rubbed off. That, that they recognized, well, Jesus spoke with authority. And Jesus did these miraculous things. And now all of a sudden, there's not just one guy. Now we've got a bunch of guys. And they're all doing the same thing that the first guy did. Mm -hmm. They recognized they had been with Jesus. Then as you go through the, the following chapters of 4 through 8, they, they went back to the upper room and they prayed for courage, it says, that they were not really, un, they were unsure what, you know, God, what are we supposed to do with all of this? They go back to the upper room and they pray again, God, we need you. We can't do this without you. And they prayed and they said, God, these are the things that are happening. These are the things that we're being threatened with. What do we do? And it says that God shook the house where they were and they were filled with boldness and they went out and preached with courage in their community. And, and then you come down another couple of verses in chapter 4, verses 32 through 36, and it says that they shared all that they had. No one had a need and they were united in heart and mind. They were all together. Then you jump to chapter 5. Chapter 5 is where you have the Christian horror story, where you have this couple who think that they're doing God a favor because they're going to give this really big offering. And so Ananias and Sapphira are this wealthy couple, they're landowners, and they, they get it in their head, they, they, they heard the message, maybe they were there uh, at the day of Pentecost, or maybe they're a, a wealthy family who heard them speaking and, and, and became part of the church, part of that first 3,000 people. And they still hadn't figured out 
that God was after their heart, that God did not need their money. And so they sell this piece of property and they, they think, well, you know, we sold it for $100,000. What are we going to give $100,000? What, what a fisherman going to do with $100,000? Let's tell them that we sold it for fifty, and then we'll keep fifty. No one will know. And so they walk in thinking they're doing God this amazing favor and they say, hey guys, guess what? We've got this huge offering, $50,000 that we want to bless the new church plant with. And, and the Holy Spirit speaks to the disciples, to the apostles and says, are you out of your mind? Do you honestly think that you can cheat God and get away with it? And Ananias is dropped dead in his tracks. Literally, he dies on the spot. Scary. Right? I mean, how terrifying it would it be if we were caught in the consequences of our sins and the, uh, the payment for that sin came instantly? Right? It would change the way we think about how we do things, huh? You know, one click away from dropping dead. Oh, man, click, boom. His wife shows up, and, and they're thinking, well, hopefully she's not in on the deal. Hopefully Ananias' wife, Sapphira, will have integrity and character. And so she comes in, and they, they, they don't tell her that her husband's dead. They say, um, hey, Sapphira, we just are curious. What was the final price on, on your piece of property? Hoping, I think, Peter was, that she would say, oh, Peter, was $100,000. But she says, uh, fifty. And immediately he says to her, do you realize that the boys that just carried your husband out of here are here for you? Boom, and she's dead. Yeah. Powerful. Scary. Yeah. Right? right? Are we going to start doing that here? Uh, no. 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 I'm, I'm very glad that it doesn't work that way. Um, so at least I hope it doesn't. I mean, it's possible. Uh, I, I guess the moral of the story is don't cheat God. Amen. Right? Amen. Bottom line. Uh, my, as my mom would always say, be sure your sins will find you out. Don't lie. Don't lie. Um, so then, then they are, again, there's healings and there's all kinds of things that are happening after this, this amazing thing. And I'm sure that the buzz was all over Jerusalem that you really shouldn't cheat God. And, and then all of a sudden, they're back in jail. And they're being confronted by the authorities again. And the authorities are telling them, you can't preach, you can't do this, you can't talk about this Jesus. And then as they're there in jail, an angel appears to them. And the angel says to, to Peter, uh, to, to them in, verse, in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, he says, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And then he breaks them out of jail. And so they get out of jail, and you think, you know, you just got broken out of jail. Anybody ever seen, what, what was it, prison break? When you break out of jail, you don't want to go show yourself to the authorities. You want to go run and hide because, you know, they're going to come looking for you. But the angel said, I'm, I'm busting you out. Go to the temple and bring the people the message of life. They get arrested again. This time after they get arrested. So they've been arrested multiple times. They've been charged not to do this. And, 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 but again, it's like, 
we're, we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because God keeps telling them, you have to go bring this message of hope and life to my people. And the authorities keep saying, if you keep doing this, we're going to beat the snot out of you, which is what happens next. They, they don't have, they don't have uh, the courage, the, the, the religious leaders don't have the courage to outright kill them. They can threaten them, and we're going to throw you in jail. And, and you saw how that worked out, throwing them in jail. So maybe this time we'll beat them. So they had them flogged, and they sent them out. And so now, after they've been, they've been beaten, whipped, then they leave the, the, the police station bloodied and bruised and, and wounded. And how do you think they responded? How did they respond? Does anybody know? Where they're like, oh, I just got beat. I mean, if, if it were me, I would be like, oh, <laughs> you know, crying and be like, you know, don't touch me. And, and they left the police station rejoicing that it had been counted unto them, that, that they were counted worthy enough to suffer Amen. for the cause of Christ. Amen. They were rejoicing. And it says that in verse 41 of chapter 5, they continued to preach, Jesus is the Messiah. Couldn't stop these guys. Chapter 6 runs into some difficulty. We've got problems. right? Every family's got problems, don't they? Yeah. Every, every family's got issues where people don't seem to get along very well. you know. And, and everybody's got a crazy Uncle Eddie in your family. Uh, no offense, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but there's two of you, so you don't know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> but exactly. But there's a problem because the, the Greeks weren't getting the same service as the Hebrews were at the potluck. And, and, you know, the Hebrew ladies would come in and they would get served first and they would get the, the good stuff and then whatever was left over, the, the stuff that maybe had a little, you know, the, the apples were a little bruised or, or whatever, that went to the Greek widows. And so there's like, there's a problem here. And, and so someone brought it to the attention of the apostles saying, hey, look, the Greeks are getting ripped off. And, and the Hebrews are getting treated better than anybody else, and, and it's wrong. So they, they picked these seven guys, and they were chose to oversee Samaritan Harvest to make sure that the food got to the people and it was distributed fairly. And so the Hebrew people didn't get to pick all the best stuff out of the box, and then the bruised, junky stuff that was left over didn't get given to the Greek people. So these seven men, full of the Holy Spirit, are chosen to oversee the, the, the potlucks. And then, even then, this is so cool. So all throughout this process, more and more people are added to the church. And, and so after they've fixed this problem where people aren't getting fed properly, the people are being, you know, being treated better than others, it says that immediately after that, and more were saved and added to the church. And this is cool. It says in verse 7 of chapter 6, even some of the priests gave their hearts to the Lord and became believers. It's amazing. Then Stephen one of those seven guys that they chose to take over the potluck ministry, um, 
he gets arrested. And Stephen was one of those guys that you just couldn't point your finger at because he lived a blameless life. The guy, I mean, obviously he wasn't perfect, but he was a man of integrity and a man of, of grace and, and a man of, of truth. And he was praying for people and they were being healed and he was making sure that, that things went well. And so the only way that they could catch this guy is if they had somebody lie about him. Right. And so they pick someone, some guy, probably you know, someone from the crowd, and they buy this guy off and say, here's what I need you to do. We need you to go to the authorities and tell them that Stephen's been saying these blasphemous things against Moses and against the Lord. And so he gets arrested. And all of, all of chapter 7 is incredible. All of chapter 7 is Stephen's response. And so they bring him to, to, to jail. Uh, and, and when he's standing before the judge for, for court, and, and they say, what is it that you would like to say on your behalf? You know, you get the chance to testify. Uh, you, uh, the charges that have been laid against you. Stephen stands up and opens his mouth and begins to literally teach them the Old Testament survey from Abraham to Jesus. He starts at Abraham, goes from Abraham through Moses, through the, through the prophets, all the way up to this Jesus whom you crucified, who no longer is dead but is risen and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He preaches the entire Old Testament and, and, and who knows how long it took him to, to, to do it as he's defending himself. Not, hey look, I was wrongly accused. This guy over here, he doesn't even know me. He wasn't even there. I could probably pull out evidence to prove that I am innocent of these charges of, of blasphemy and heresy. But instead, he chooses to tell the story again. They can't get these people to shut up. They can't stop talking about this Jesus. Stephen is standing there, and all of a sudden, for Stephen, I don't know that anyone else in, in the courtroom was able to see what Stephen saw, but God miraculously opens up the heavens, and Stephen is able to look up, and he can see God the Father, and he can see, and he says, it's one of those things, it's like when, when I first saw Terry, uh, when, when we, before we started dating, um, we were... We both worked at Sears, and and I worked in Lawn and Garden, and she worked in customer service. And I had seen her, you know, multiple times, you know, because she would come and take money out of the register. She had no idea who I was. And but there was this one time where I was paying my bill, my Discover bill, back at customer service at, at, at Long Ridge Mall, and. I'm standing at the register, and all of a sudden, I look over my, my friend who was helping me cash me out. I see Terry. And, and it was one of those things, like, funny, like, out of a movie kind of a thing. Like, like the light shines down, and, and you can hear the angels singing. And, and I'm looking at this girl that I, I, I was like, I was like, and out of my mouth, in my mind, I'm thinking, holy cow, who is that? Not even recognizing that as I'm thinking those words, it's, oh no, words are coming out of my mouth. And, and I actually said, holy cow, who is that? And my friend Linda hears me say, holy cow, and she's like, what? She turns around and, she, and the only person there is Terry. And, and I think that, that Stephen had an encounter like that. I'm sure his was a lot better than mine because he saw God, not that I, it was... 
God and you, I mean, they're good. But I, I, I got to give it to God. I love you. Holy cow, who is that? But he's looking up and, and he says, I see Jesus. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. There he is. Do you see him? And that is what clinches the deal for the, for the religious leaders. And they say he's, he's crazy. He's committed blasphemy. He, he's got to be taken and put out of his misery. And they drag him out and they stone him. And Stephen dies. First martyr uh, the, to, to give his life for the gospel. And then chapter 8, the scattering happens. Persecution goes hardcore. So they had arrested the guys a couple of times. They had beat them up a couple of times. They would threatened and warned them a couple of times. But now it's tipped the scale. Now it's cost someone their life. And now the, the religious leaders are thinking, okay, the only way that we're going to squash this is if we kill them all. And so persecution ramps up big time. And, and you know, you, you think that that's a bad thing, right? That all of a sudden now people are giving their lives. But what God was doing, God was, was disassembling the nest. Have you ever heard of, of uh, eagles? That they will build their nest and they will lay their eggs and they will hatch their, their little eaglets and they will feed them and they'll grow and then they'll get to a spot where they've gotten big enough that now there's not a whole lot of room in the nest and they're figuring out how to fly but they haven't really got it all together yet and so the mother eagle what she does is she begins to disassemble the nest she takes it apart so now there's absolutely no room and it forces those little eagles to go figure it out it was safe in Jerusalem. They knew, well, not safe, really, uh, but it had been safe. It was familiar. It was home. It was what they knew. And God had to start disassembling the nest because otherwise they were never going to leave. I remember when we were in Ohio and, and I would, people would ask me about ministry and, and we were youth pastors at a, at a, a, a good-sized church. And, and we, had a, we had a fairly successful youth ministry. And I remember people asking, you know, what are your plans? What are you thinking? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm going to be a youth pastor at, at Northwest Assembly of God for the rest of my life. I love it here in Ohio. Why would I ever want to leave this? And, and I, I made the mistake of saying that if God wanted us to leave Ohio, it was going to have to be kicking and screaming. You don't say that to God. <laughs> And so he said, Rob, there's a church in Hilton that you're supposed to plant and it can't get planted if you're still youth pastor in Dublin, Ohio. So he began to disassemble our nest. Um, and it was painful. But, but it was good. New Jersey was worse than Ohio. We're not even going to go to New Jersey. Um, but that's kind of the... That's the overview, biblically, of what happened to the disciples. Alright? That's just the introduction. This morning I want to talk about how does that apply to us? How does that apply to you? 
sitting here this morning on Sunday, September 18th, 2011. This week, um, or not this week, just towards the end of this week, we sent out a, a survey to ask people some questions, some of them silly and some of them serious. And, and hopefully you, you were able to, to get the um, purpose behind the survey. And, and so we, we asked questions about who we are as a church. Who do you think? It's kind of like, who do you say that Jesus is? It was kind of a, who do you say that LifeQuest is? Who do you, do you understand who we are as a church and why we're here? And we asked people to say, if you could think up some words that would describe LifeQuest Community Church, what would you, what, what words would you use? And, and people use words like family and community and friendship. And, and, and I don't know if any of you went to the website and actually went and looked up the vision statement so you could fill out your answer or not. Um, but it was, it was amazing to see and hear from you what you thought this whole thing was all about. It was beautiful because the vast majority of you get it. Um, it's very, very pleased. And there were some that, that didn't get it and some that didn't get the whole movie thing and that's totally cool. I understand that not everybody is into movies like I'm into movies. Um, you know, Because they ask questions like, what's your favorite movie and, and why? And, and from your favorite movie, who's your favorite character and why do you identify with that character? And, and, and I recognize that not everybody's into movies um, and so that's, that's totally cool and we're not going to make you go see movies in order to be a part of our church. Um, and I have to be honest, when I sent out the survey, it was, it was designed so that I couldn't find out who said what until I accidentally clicked on this button over here that then showed everybody's names. And I'm like, oh! So I apologize. Trust me, if I say something, I, I didn't even know that feature existed. I thought it was something that went with the pro feature of SurveyMonkey, and we're using the free version of SurveyMonkey, and I didn't even know there was such an animal to click browse response, and then it told me who and when. And So I, I, I just wanted to come out and be honest <laughs> that, that, that if you feel like I'm coming directly at you about something, uh, it's, I didn't mean to find out, but I did. And So I, I don't want to pretend like I don't know, because um, that would just be wrong. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you. So, we've got this story of what happened 2,000 years ago to the disciples and the apostles and how they were sent. So, how does that apply to us? What does that mean for us today? Well, the first thing it means is that, and we talked about this. Um, two weeks ago, I think, when we were talking about the sequel, is that the church is God's only plan to show the world who Jesus is. LifeQuest Community Church is part of that plan to show the world in Hilton and in Parma and in the west side of Rochester who Jesus is. That is his plan A. We're not plan B. We're not like a sub-point in the process. We are God's plan to show Christ to this part of the world. We were put here specifically for that purpose. That's why we're here. We have to tell his story. We have to be, like we said a couple weeks ago, we have to be Jesus with skin on to our world. And we're not a health club. We are not a book club. We are not 
we are not some gathering of people who get together to just kind of discuss stuff. We are God's plan A to reach this world. So what did they do that we can do? Well, they did a few things. They met people where they were with what they had. Right? They met people where they were with what they had. And that's all God is asking us to do. When we did Hullabaloo a couple of weeks ago, it was meeting people where they were. We were in this community showing the love of Christ to families and kids by saying, look, we want to bless you with a great fun day. We had opportunities where people could share the gospel uh, through clowning and through drama and through music. It, it wasn't a hard push. It wasn't a hellfire and brimstone come to the altar uh, kind of an event because we wanted people to know that we loved them and that we were part of this community. There have been plenty of church plants that have, that have attempted to make a go of it here in this community. One that actually met in this room that no longer exists. Church plant after church plant after church plant that have attempted to preach the good news here in this community. Is that God's will that they, they folded or fell or, or that they aren't here anymore? I, I don't believe so. But we are here to meet people where they are with what we have. And they changed their world because they had been with Jesus. So the challenge then for us is how much time are we spending with Jesus? When people hear us talk, when people spend time with us, do they, do they sense, do they know that we've been with Jesus? Do we sound like Him? Do we act like Him? Do we do the things that He did? Do we, do we get upset about the things that He gets upset about? Amen. Do we love the things that He loves? Do we look like we've spent any time with Jesus? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with boldness and they clearly understood the mission. They got it. Finally, after three years of, of kind of following Jesus and still not getting it, even like we talked about when Jesus ascended, they're still standing there after He's resurrected from the dead and they're still standing there. He's got to come back. They still don't get it. Now, finally, they've got it. And they understood the mission. Look at it. In Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, they respond to the religious leaders and they say there's no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus is the only answer. Then in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, the angel tells them, here's your mission. I'm busting you out of jail. You've got one thing to say. Give the people the message of life. Amen. And then in chapter 5, verse 41, they, they were united. They shared everything that they had. And they went around making sure that everyone got a clear understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. They'd finally gotten it. So the first thing is that God's only plan to show the world is us. We're it. We're the plan. Second thing, they did things differently 
these, these crazy first believers, they did things differently because they shook everything up. They didn't do anything the way that they were supposed to. The, the, the Jewish religious system was all designed around the sacrificial system. And it had everything, to, it, it impacted everything, every aspect of their lives. You had to raise animals and pick the best out of your herds in order for you to bring them to the temple every year so that your sins could be covered. So financially, you were invested in this thing. It wasn't like you... you know, and, and if you weren't a shepherd or if you didn't have livestock, you had to then buy that stuff. So there was a whole industry around being able to have that sacrifice because if you didn't have that animal slaughtered in your place, your sins didn't get covered. And there was no forgiveness. It was just a covering. It was, it was, it was a hiding. And so now all of a sudden you have these group of people who are no longer buying sheep and goats and taking them to the temple because they didn't need to anymore. Right? So now not only are they messing with the sacrificial system, they're messing with the economic system. They're messing with the money. They're messing with the political system. They're challenging the authority. And, and so they're... And here's the revolution, right? It's not that we're going to overthrow the government or we're going to kick the religious leaders out. We're just not going to buy your goats anymore. And we're going we're gonna to get together and we're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to share with each other and, and we're going to give. Madness. <laughs> That's not the way you're supposed to do things. Not only that, they let women speak in the presence of men. <gasps> let day laborers, guys who were blue collar, they get paid by manpower temp agency, sit in the same room with doctors and PhDs and carry on a conversation and, and they're treated as equals. What? And worst of all, they let Gentiles in the club. Who gave them permission to do that? It's one of, one of my favorite movies. Um, I'm not going to show the clip is Ghostbusters. And there's this one scene where they're talking, they're warning the mayor of what's going to happen, and they say that it's real wrath of God type stuff. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. These guys were causing mass hysteria to the system, to the status quo. And they were doing it by getting together to pray, getting together to worship, they shared their needs amongst each other and, and they gave. Not just to, to each other to meet needs, but they gave to the work of the Lord. Amen. They were giving so that the church in Jerusalem was giving offerings to other churches and other communities eventually as they, as they began to spread out because they knew that there, were, there was a need. And so they were, they were giving financially. Number one, we are God's plan A. Number two, they did things differently. It was a revolution. It was, as we like to say, a grand experiment. <laughs> they were a new kind of people. This new kind of person emerged because 
and, and it's funny because it's, it's almost exactly the same today as it was then with these two different groups of people. The one group, I would call them consumer Christians. A consumer Christian is someone who um, they still think that it's all about them. And they attend church for what they can get out of church. And you see people who bounce from church to church to church because they're looking for that perfect church. And, and I, I, I hate to tell this to you, but as soon as you show up, it's no longer perfect. We have a perfect church. It's at 8 a.m. No one's here. At 8.30, when we start showing up, ah, there it goes. There is no such thing as a perfect church. But consumer Christians, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, I know I, I get I got a bunch of friend requests this week on Facebook. Anybody on on the Facebook on the the interwire? Um, that Facebook thing is is amazing for for being able to connect with people and to reconnect with old friends and and but have you ever noticed that that really and and I'm probably not probably I'm guilty of it myself that Facebook is is just an excuse to talk about me and and we carefully craft the things that we post on there so that we get you know I I'll go through and I'll read uh, something that stands out to me in the 52 greatest stories and I'll post that on my profile and and sometimes my days are really good based on how many people say wow that was really good Pastor Rob and 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 then you know I'll post a quote and nobody says anything about it I'm like oh <laughs> nobody thought that was funny right. And, and, and we, can, we can become, as Christians, wrapped up in, in me. And this story is about me. And, and you know, I, I go to this church, but I'm not getting fed. And, and, you know, and obviously if I'm not getting fed, that it has to be Rob and Jamie's fault that I'm not getting fed. Wrong. If you're not getting fed... That's your fault. You're either eating the wrong food, you're stuffing yourself on junk food throughout the week, and then showing up on Sundays hoping and praying that, that what you get in the 30 minutes that Jamie and I have to speak God's truth into your life is going to feed you for the week. Imagine if all you ate was a 30-minute snack on Sundays, and then the rest of the week you had nothing to eat. You'd be starving. So for people to go into a church and say, oh, I'm just not getting fed, I'm just not getting it, you're not getting it. You have to be responsible to feed yourself God's Word Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and even on Sunday. I remember when we were in Ohio, we went to this conference and there was a bunch of old guys that were the speakers. And, and I was bored out of my skull. And, and so we had, we had like seven or eight people on our pastoral staff. And, and so it was after one of the sessions and I went up to Pastor Dennis. He's kind of like the, it was my Ohio equivalent of who Jamie is to us. And I'm like, oh, those guys are killing me in the conference. I'm not getting anything out of it. 
Dennis turned to me and he said, and, and so whose fault is that? <laughs> These are men who are seasoned, who have lived a life of faith and ministry and are sharing God's heart with you. And it has nothing to do with those guys are boring. It has to do with your heart mm-hmm. is not where it needs to be, Rob. And I'm like, ow! That hurt! spending a lot more time on this than I thought about. It, it, it reminds me of you, you go to a party and, and you run into that guy who's talking to you about his cars and, and his job and he's talking about how awesome things are in his life and you know we would go to, we'll go to pastor functions and you'll hear guys talk about how awesome their church is and their church is growing and a billion people got saved last week and a trillion people got baptized and, and everything's great and they're amazing and, and you know you almost wish that there was some guy there who was an astronaut who walked on the moon who could turn to that guy who's talking about me, me, me look at me and then have Neil Armstrong look at him and say well I walked on the moon (laughs) when our kids are growing they expect their life to be all about them right and and it it, it is and and you do your best to, to help them to be selfless but when they're little my son Toby's life the entire galaxy revolves around Toby it is about him what's terrifying is when you run into an adult who still thinks the same way that Toby does that's right there are the difference then between a commercial or a consumer christian and a called Christian is called Christians have learned that it is no longer about them. It's not about them anymore. Maybe it started out that way. Maybe they ended up in church at some point because they were hurting and they needed a hospital. They needed someone to speak life into them and truth because they were broken. And, and maybe they, they needed to, to take time to say, God, I need your help. I'm a mess. And whether you're an absolute basket case or you're someone who's just lost, someone who doesn't know Christ, but maybe you think you have your act together, um, you show up and God heals you and, and, and they, they get it. They recognize that they... Um, I'm sorry, I'm making Dan run around back there. I'm sorry, Dan. Um, but they recognize that God has healed them of whatever that is. Because the point is to get healed. Amen. There's nothing sadder than a Christian who walks through their Christian life constantly in their brokenness when Jesus is looking at them week after week, day after day, asking the same question. He asked people in the New Testament, do you want to get well? And they choose to stay broken. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do it. But a called Christian, not only do they show up, but they receive that healing. And then, because they've been in the hospital, they, you know, like Joel was saying, you know, I, I love that stabbed, unconscious, and out of money. You're either in an alley or you're in a hospital. But then you get out of recovery and you go to medical school so that you can learn to be a nurse or a doctor so that you can now begin to minister healing and hope and life 
to the new arrivals. You don't stay in recovery ward. You have to get out. They push you out. And you got to cycle in another body. It's important for us to recognize that God values people more than he values our comfort. And God values mission more than he values safety. Think about that. God knew that Peter and John were going to get their butts whipped for going out and saying what they needed to say. But the mission came first. You've got to bring life. And we can't do that staying in here. Um, Just got about five minutes. Is anybody hungry? Eddie, come here, buddy. Yeah, baby. Come on. I'm hoping it's still hot, but it should still be good. You really got food? Yeah, dude, I got food. Put my sugar levels down. All right, so yeah, I got you, man. We got a big breakfast. Set me up. I know you. I can feel it. No way. I know you. I, I, the hash brown. Yeah. This your fork. Thank you. Salt and pepper. I got salt. You gotta have salt and pepper. Yeah. All right. So don't eat too fast because okay. I need. Otherwise, the illustration is gonna get blown when up. Do I eat it? You can eat now. Go ahead. I gotta eat from the people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't get to eat any. I know. Okay. It's okay. Can you somebody get him a cup of hot chocolate or something? Yeah, or, or a cup of coffee or water? Chocolate. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. So, Praise the Lord. <laughs> Lord, we just ask your blessing over this food. Yeah, amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. You need pepper? Yeah. Now, hold on. I got pepper. I got pepper. I don't call it trickery, though. No, 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 it's not okay, trickery. Alright, so the difference between a consumer Christian and a... Co- oh, thank you. You got coffee for him and creamer? Dude, you are getting hooked oh, up. Oh, man, praise the Lord. I love this stuff. I love being waited at. Right, good. Spoiled. Good. Right, Susan? <laughs> so the question is, for us as believers, what is that going to look like for us to be out in the world? Jesus said in in Matthew that we are called to be salt and light. Right? That we are the salt of the world. Now, if you were to eat these eggs without salt, they're pretty bland, right? They're McDonald's eggs. They're not so bad. They're nasty, right? But you take one packet of salt and you put it on there and it enhances. You did that already. So have you tasted it yet? Is it good? I'm going to try it right now. All right. And I apologize, they may not be... They're cold, but they're good. They're cold, but they're good. All right. Well, it's either hot or cold. You know, lukewarm, you have to puke, and we don't want that. Can I eat the sausage? You can eat the sausage. Eat it all. Here's the thing. Here's what I want you to get. For us to reach our world, to, to go out and reach the ends of the earth, for a lot of Christians, their consumer mentality is, we're going to come here... And we're going to do everything we can to get people to come here. And we don't ever do anything out there where people are. And what it's like is Eddie put his salt on there, and now I'm going to show up. 
put my salt there oh, on Eddie's no, eggs. No, no, no. And then Jamie's going to come, you know, because we're getting oh, together for our, 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 our life group. <laughs> Just don't do the sausage. Save him the sausage. <laughs> Right. And and then Mike, Mike shows up. <laughs> That's not fair. because as consumer Christians, it's about us. Right. And and what we get when all we do is just hang out here is we end up with eggs that are oversalted that you cannot eat. No, I can't. You can't eat it. No. Well, I mean, you could. No, 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 Sal. That's that. You have to rinse it with water. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. No way, no way. No. Praise the Lord. We go without. Not gonna drink water. water. You're not gonna mess with my coffee, though. No, you can have your coffee. <laughs> I didn't do anything to the sausage, hash brown, or the biscuit. They're yours. And I'll take you out for eggs tomorrow. Yes. We have got to take this out there. That's why we did Hullabaloo. That's why we're going to be doing the Halloween outreach in neighborhoods, being salt and light where there is no salt or light. That's the point. We are God's plan A to, do, to reach this world. So the question is, are you going to go? Are you going to be a part of being God's plan A to reach this world? Now, really, the bottom line is this. Before we can go out there and give Him away, we have to have Him ourselves. We have to have spent time with Him so that, like Peter and John, they could look and say, Oh, man, they've been with Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do that right here, right now. You can, and just it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I recognize, I recognize that I've blown it. And, and there's no way that I can heal my heart on my own. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He paid the price for your sins so that you don't have to pay them. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So this morning, before we leave, commit to a relationship with Christ. You can do that right there in your seat. It doesn't have to be anything... Anything, just say simply, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and change me. As simple as that. It's amazing that there are no sinner's prayers recorded in the Bible. There is no formula for what that's supposed to look like. You simply say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. I confess that I need you. And he's there. Right there. Commit to a relationship with Christ. Commit to a local church. Plug in. Don't be a consumer Christian. Plug in. Called Christians recognize where there is a need and, and they grab a hold of that need and they meet that need because coming is not about them. It's about not what I can get 
out of coming to LifeQuest on Sunday morning is what can God give through me? But obviously we want to minister to people's needs and we're not asking you to just give everything you've got and then walk away empty shells. We want to pour into you. We want to give you know, pastoral care and counseling and, and living waters and, and everything that you need to get out of that hospital mode of I'm wounded, I'm broken, I'm hurting so that you can then say, okay, you know what? There's a need in Kids Quest. We need teachers. And, and I may not be the greatest kids communicator, but I can love kids and I can have fun with them and I can follow a curriculum that's laid out, just do A, B, C, and D and smile. <laughs> right? Is, is it any harder than that, Jill? And I, and I have to say, I, I, I do want to say, you know, I, I have people come to me all the time to say how amazing our church is, and you guys are amazing. The, the, most churches experience this thing called the, the 80-20 principle, and it means that 80% of the people show up and then leave, while 20% of the people do all of the work. And, and we are an oddity in the church world because I honestly believe that we are flipped. Um, that, that we have, uh, the, the fact that you guys come early and stay late and help us set up and tear down and, and all of those things is just, I'm so blessed to be your pastor and, and to be a part of this together with you. And I just want to say thank you. Um, Commit to a local church. Participate. Serve. Help. Become a member. Speaking of that, you can go sit down. Oh, is that right? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget your coffee. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the breakfast, I'm going to just leave. No, no, no. It's too cold now. <laughs> I know we're kind of running. Give me your phone. Oh, yeah. If I could have um, Pettis, and if I could have Carl and Cindy, and who else is here, Jane, from membership? Carl and Cindy Pettis. Have we got anybody? Rick and Jerry are not here. I didn't write it down. If you turned in your membership covenant uh, before last week, come on up. At LifeQuest, we we like to call this the grand experiment, um, and, and we're going to do this, and then we're going to we're going to wrap up. Um, at LifeQuest. We feel like that God is, is putting us on a journey, that we are together in this as a journey. And for most churches, when you join as a member, you get a card and it says, I am a member of XYZ Church. And I remember when I was a kid, our membership card said that I was a member of First Assembly of God in Rochester, New York. And on the back, it listed all of the things that we didn't do. And it said that we don't drink and we don't smoke and we don't dance and we don't play cards and we don't go to movies. And we identified ourselves as members by the things we didn't do. 
And for when, when we thought about what we wanted to do as a token of membership at LifeQuest, since we are on a journey, uh, one of our core verses is that uh, out of 1 Peter 1.17, out of the message, it says, your life is a journey that you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. So for us, when we recognize membership, we give you a walking stick. And so we want to give you guys your membership walking stick. You can pick whatever one you want. Oh, yeah, he picks the big one. But you're taller, so it works. No offense. Extend your hands to these uh, membership candidates. We're going to pray your blessing. Father God, I thank you for Patterson, for Carl, and for Cindy. Lord, we thank you for them committing to joining LifeQuest Community Church by saying, I, I get it. I get that being a called Christian means I'm going to commit to membership. I'm going to commit to being faithful to this local church so that I can be a part of God's plan A in reaching this community for you. Lord, I thank you for them. We pray your blessing over them. We receive them into membership with grateful and thankful hearts, God. Thank you for bringing them to us and making them a part of our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dismiss. Um, I don't know how, how many of you are familiar with Don uh, Don Heberger. He sits over here with the Castle Rings and the De Leones. He was um, put in the hospital on Thursday with gallbladder issues, and Carl just got a text that they have moved him from his regular where he is in recovery from whatever he was doing now to ICU because something's happening with his heart. Um, so let's pray. Father God, we just lift up Don to you. Lord, we ask that you would come into that hospital room at Strong Memorial Hospital and heal him in Jesus' name. Father, we are crazy enough to take you at your word. Your word says that if any are sick, that the elders and, and the church body can pray the prayer of faith, believing, and they will be healed. So God, like you anointed Peter and John to say to that paralyzed man, get up and walk. Father, we speak to Strong Memorial Hospital to Don's body and we say in Jesus' name, be healed. Yes. Father, we pray that you would just completely turn it around and that the doctors will be amazed at what you've done. Father, we put Don and, and Mary and the, the Heberger's into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 This week... Um, thanks for coming. Two weeks uh, is Apple Fest. It's crazy how fast it's crept up on us. So next Sunday we're here. The Sunday after that, October 1st and 2nd, we will be here, but we'll be outside. And um, we've got a booth. And if you're able to come and stick around and, and help be a friendly face and give away free stuff and let people know who we are and, and where we meet, um, we would love to have you come. And uh, like we try to remember to say uh, every week, be careful what you watch this week. Be careful what you listen to. Be 
careful what you talk about. Um, we got a whole boatload of food. So before you leave, there's bread and desserts, and it's an egg sundae, and I think there's a box of chips left over from Hullabaloo on the floor over there. Go feed your neighbors. Go be salt. All right? Love you guys. Have a great week.